Hello, friends, and welcome back. Um, welcome back to the Gita, Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. This is a milestone, as Lou said. <laughs> Hello, Lou. Hello. How are we? We're closing in on episode 100. We're at episode 80 now. Yeah, we're at 80. And actually, we're through the first one-third of the Gita. Wow. So when we hit uh, the half of the Gita, that'll be another milestone. That's right. So <clears throat> we had talked last time. So just so you don't get confused, friends, if you haven't heard the previous few verses, please go back and listen to those because they're important so you understand what we're talking about. But we are now talking about God, Brahman, the self, consciousness, all of these different names for this energy around us that gives us life. This is what God is. People don't like to use the term God because they have preordained, pre-thought of notions of God. But really, you can call it God, you can say Atman, you can say Brahman, the self, whatever you want to call it. It's the life energy, the force that creates this whole universe and creates us. Yeah, the so, word God is a little bit of a problem because uh, those of us, myself in the West and Christianity, we think of God as a being, as, as there's an actual figure to it, uh, a supreme being, a supreme consciousness. So I like to differentiate the two because that's not what we're talking about here. It also makes the Gita, a, it also tends to, in people's minds, make Gita a religion, which it's not either, because God is usually attached to a religion. Right. That's why you notice when I talk, I usually call uh, this being, this entity, Brahman, mm -hmm. um, not God. But I'm saying whatever you want to call it, it is fine. It's essentially a source of energy, a source of life, a source of consciousness, and that's what it is. But in order to get the best understanding of this, friends, I recommend that you go back a few verses and go back a few episodes and listen to that. Because chapter, the second one-third of the Gita, chapter 7, 8, 9, all the way up to 12, is basically a description of Brahman. Um, the Mahavakya is Tat Tvam Asi or aham brahma asmi aham brahma asmi so in those three words tat tvam asi or aham brahma asmi is basically saying you brahma are yeah. you are brahman so the first one third talks about you the second one third talks about brahma and the, the brahman and the third one third talks about is or are so without further ado today we'll talk about chapter 7 verse 8 which says, I am the sapidity, I am the sapidity in water. I am the radiance in the sun and the moon. I am the pranava or om in all the Vedas. I am sound in space. I am manhood in man. So what Krishna is saying here in the Gita verse 8 is that I He's talking not as Krishna the person, but Krishna the self-realized soul. He's talking as Brahman, giving, give, having given the voice of Krishna the man. It's like saying, I am electricity and I am the light in every bulb. I am the heat in every heater. I am the cold in every air conditioner because Brahman is basically the sapidity in water, radiance in sun and moon, pranava, om in all the Vedas, the sound in space and manhood in man. And he'll go through the next few verses talking about what else God, Brahman, is in. So what is sapidity? Sapidity 
but the definition of sapidity is um, a taste experience. So imagine that your tongue is very, very dry. You've been in the desert, your tongue is parched, your mouth is parched, and the food that you're eating is like a cracker with mm. no liquid in it. <laughs> and imagine putting that in your mouth. What does it taste like? Nothing. Yeah. The re reason you cannot taste anything is there's no water there. In order for anything to be tasted, water has to be there because the minute you put water on that cracker and into your mouth and everything becomes moist, you now ta start to taste what that cracker, the dried uh, object, tastes like. But why? Water doesn't taste of anything, but water generates, it allows the cracker or whatever it is that you have in your mouth to transmit the sensation of taste, sapidity, the taste experience to your tongue. Without water, that's not possible. Water itself is, has no taste, but what is it that gives water that quality? And that's Brahman, that's mm -hmm. the Atman, that's consciousness. Now, when we say consciousness, you think, like I was saying last time, that if my wife were to call my name and call me and call me and I'm engrossed in something and I don't hear her, it's not that I didn't hear her. The sound went in through my ears and registered, but my consciousness was not prepared to accept that she was calling me or I wasn't. And I get yelled at that before that a lot, by the <laughs> way, Lou. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but that's consciousness. Now, when I say consciousness is what causes the sapidity in water, you may say, what does consciousness have to do with it? That's why the term consciousness doesn't really apply to other things like this. So that's where you say Brahman, the life force causes not just me to be able to speak and move and all of that. It also causes these trees to be green and alive. It causes the birds to sing, but it also causes the taste in water, although water is tasteless. So Atman Brahman doesn't do anything, right? It but without it, nothing can be done. Right. So it's similar to petrol or gas in a car. Right. The petrol or gas is not what moves. The car moves, but without the petrol, the car cannot move. And I can give you lots of other examples, which we did last time, the ocean, the wave, the dream, the snake, right. all of that. So. But the petrol, the, the gasoline doesn't do anything without the mechanism of the spark and of the compression and you know, it, it in and of itself does not move the car. It takes the combination of the mechanism and the petrol to move the car. Excellent point. And I thank you for reminding me that Atman, Brahman, consciousness, the self in and of itself cannot do anything. So as we spoke last few verses, there is consciousness that when it came about, in order for it to come to this stage, we talked about the Darwin's theory and how, you know, human beings came about from like mice and, uh, sorry, monkeys and so yeah. on. But before that, what the Gita and Upanishad said is that in addition to being all that, first it became the manifest consciousness, the unmanifest consciousness became the manifest consciousness. Then it goes, it creates space, not air, space, mm -hmm. vacuum. Then after space, it creates air. Then after air, it creates fire. And then mm -hmm. fire, then, then water. And after water comes earth. And then comes the mind and the intellect and then the ego. So it went through all of that process in order to develop 
a microorganism. Mm -hmm. So first microorganism that was created in this fashion, space, earth, etc., all the way to mind, ego, and then a first microorganism, protoplasm, and then from there, like a blade of grass, a small right. little pleat, then dinosaurs, and, and so on. So now he goes on to say, I am the sapidity in water. I'm the radiance in sun and moon. Now, the Gita, Upanishads, everything was spoken verbally. Nothing was written down. And the reason it wasn't written down is not because they didn't have wood in order to carve it, not that they didn't have letters uh, or language to write it down in, or they had stones in which they could chisel this, but because they recognized that unless you do this verbally, these written, carved, chiseled pieces of transmission of this knowledge could be destroyed. There could be a flood, there could be a fire, there could be an earthquake, there could be raiding by uh, other uh, evil forces and destroy everything. But it could one be confiscated thing, and put in a cave, right? Like we yeah. talked several episodes ago. That's right. It could be yeah. confiscated and hid in a cave for 400 years, like the gospel, the uh, Gnostic gospel. But here, if they taught a certain segment of the population and said, this is your religion, to transmit this Gita, this Upanishads, in every single word, exactly as it is to the next generation and so on and so on, as they do in India, you can never lose it. So mm -hmm. words are very precious because you can't give like an encyclopedia to somebody to remember. So because of that, every word is important. So when it says radiance and sun and moon, you say, ah, it's radiance and sun and moon, but every word, every word in the Gita has meaning and substance. Right. So when you say radiance, you say, yeah, light, but why sun, why moon? And what it's saying is that whether there is direct sunlight, such as sun, light coming from the sun is direct light, right. yep. light coming from the moon is reflected light. So he's saying whether it's light that's direct or reflected, it's the same. And the concept here, that we should keep in mind is that what he's also pointing out is that when a sun falls on a stone wall, what happens? You see the stone wall. That's it. Right. When it falls on a lake, a glistening, clean water lake, you actually look in the lake and you can see the sun moving. You can see the sun as the water moves. You see, wow, the sun is moving. So right. it looks as if the sun has life. Similarly, when the sun falls on a stone, so when Brahman falls on a stone, nothing comes of it. Mm -hmm. We don't know, nothing that we know of. It doesn't move. But when it falls on other kinds of prakriti, other kinds of lower uh, beings that are prepared like a bulb with a filament ready to accept electricity, that lower prakriti comes to life. So it could be a tree, it could be a bird, it could be a human being. Sure. Depending on what that filament and the glass is, the light will show as either red or blue or colorless or white or pale yellow. So we spend a lot of money trying to get different bulbs of different colors. Right. Similarly, Brahman has different kinds of prakritis. We were talking last time, Lou, about cars, saying how there are fast cars, slow cars, big, right. you know, uh, tow trucks and stuff, and that. The petrol can be the same, but the car body 
is what would be different. So similarly, a tree, uh, a, a mouse, a bird, a human being, all have different prakritis, all have different substrates in which that life gives and you, you produce life right. in them. So Brahman is the cause of everything, everything. So that's what we are saying. When the sun falls on a stone wall, it just shows a stone wall. When it falls on a reflection like a mirror or a lake, it actually shows as a moving object. Similarly, Brahman, when it falls onto different prakritis, presents as life in different things. So we don't see that as Brahman presenting as a bird or a human being. Right. We say it as, wow, look at that bird. Look how beautiful it is. We don't say, look at that Brahman. So the analogy... And I apologize for those of you who have been listening regularly, but I use the same analogy again because it's repeated again and again in the scriptures. The rope and the snake. Right. So the, the, a, a boy walking in the dark, semi-dark, sees a rope on the ground and he mistakes it for a snake. And he says, oh my goodness, it's, there's a snake. It's a poisonous snake. I can recognize it as a cobra. It's alive. It's moving. All of this is in his mind. It's not really alive, it's not moving, it's not poisonous, it's a rope. Mm -hmm. The rope he sees as the snake, similarly we see Brahman as the earth or right. the universe or a human being or a flower or a tree. Similarly, the wave that we look at is really the ocean. The ocean can produce tons and tons of waves. We see one wave and we see a tsunami and we say, wow, look at that. <laughs> we look at the tsunami, we focus on it, but we're not focusing on the underlying ocean. Your dream, you wake up in the morning, you say, wow, I had a phenomenal dream. It lasted for hours when it may have only lasted for a few seconds. It was a small fraction of your mind, but that dream really shook you up. It was a, f a production of your mind. Without the mind, that dream would not have been possible. Right. So whether it's a wave, a dream, uh, a s artificial illusion of a snake, the underlying effect of whatever it is, the ocean or the rope or the mind, without that, these things would not have been possible. So similarly, without Brahman, the radiance in the sun and the moon, the sapidity in water would not have been possible. He also goes on to say the pranava or om in the Vedas all comes from uh, Brahman. Now, that's an important thing for us to talk about, Om. And let me combine it with the next one that he says, which is sound in space is me. Manhood in man is me. Mm -hmm. So sound in space and Om go together. When the unmanifest consciousness became manifest, it first formed space, a vacuum, before perhaps the Big Bang and that space, the only thing, you couldn't taste space, you couldn't yeah. see space, you couldn't feel space, you could only possibly hear space because in a vacuum in space, you can hear a sound. And what these scriptures say, what our rishis and munis said from thousands of years ago, is that the sound of space was Om, hmm. a deep voice like that, deep sound of Om. And Om has an articulate meaning and an inarticulate meaning. And we will go into what that means. But the A, U, M is Om. The A represents the waking state. 
the U represents the dream state and N represents the deep sleep state. And that is the, the states of our consciousness. So mm -hmm. OM represents us, life, consciousness. It also, when you say articulate and inarticulate, one doesn't speak, say, Mandarin or Chinese. And so somebody starts speaking in an articulate manner about Mandarin or Chinese, you don't understand a word he's saying. Right. But then he starts laughing and you, that inarticulate laugh, you say, I understand that he's right. saying something funny. Mm -hmm. He cries. The inarticulate meaning of that Mandarin Chinese is that he's saying something sad. So you get that. So Om has an articulate meaning which is consciousness, waking state, dream state, deep sleep state, and an inarticulate meaning because when you listen to the sound of Om over and over and over hundreds of times, you get a certain vibration within you, they say, that is very peaceful and gives you some inner vibrations that fall along with it. Hmm. So we talked about the conditioned consciousness, the different prakritis, in a tree, a cow, a tiger, a human, all will produce different kinds of beings. The Upanishads say that Brahman is that which enables you to see, but you cannot see. That which enables you to see, but you cannot see. Mm -hmm. So Atman Brahman, you cannot see it, you cannot smell it, you cannot uh, hear it, you cannot touch it, you cannot taste it, you cannot have emotions about it, you cannot reason or logically consider it, you can only become the Atman. That's a very important point to recognize. So if, like you were saying before, um, you want to pray to somebody, to, to a being such as Brahman, Atman, if you don't know what it, he, she looks like or has a form, then right. how do you pray? I mean, just try it when you go home today, friends, if you're listening to this in a car, put on, on your phone a timer for two minutes and say, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to think of nothing but Brahman, Atman, the life force that created me. Within a couple of seconds, you'll see that your mind starts to wander and you will not be able to control that wandering of your mind, whether it be for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And what the scriptures teach us is that meditation is to be able to control the roving of that mind. So that meditation is important. So in order to do that, the scripture said, you're not going to be able to think about Brahman or Atman without a form. You need a form of some kind. Right. And that form we called idols. So every religion has some kind of form, whether it be a cross, whether it be a sign of Om, whether it be you know, anything. There's yes. a, a book. The Sikhs have books and you, you pray to the book. So a stone idol or a book has all five senses you can touch. You can touch the stone. You can smell the stone. You can taste the stone. You can take a spoon and hit the stone and you can hear the sound is different from the stone versus a metal. Um, you, all five senses there. So that's the most gross form of an idol. A fire which is what a lot of other primitive religions have used to pray to, goes with three senses. You can touch a fire, you don't want to, but you touch it, you get burned. You can smell it and you can see the fire. You can see the light coming from fire. But the most subtle form of an worship is through sound, such as Om, mm -hmm. because the only sense organ in your body that can connect with Om is the ear. 
You can't smell it, you can't taste it, etc. You can only hear it. So that was verse number eight. I am let, the seventh. Let me, let me ask you as a psychiatrist, because what I'm hearing here is the mind becomes very uncomfortable when it can't attach to anything that it knows. We've talked about dreams where you can only dream things that you know, right? Yes. So when we're trying to think about Brahman, when we're trying to think of the Atman, it's outside of our it's outside of what we know, so we are uncomfortable with the concept, which is why we often try to attach it to a book or attach it to that guy with the beard sitting in the throne up in heaven. Like we try to put it in a way that our mind can handle it, but that's not the way you reach Brahman. You have to reach it in a different way. Well, you have to, what, what the analogy that is given in the, uh, uh, from what Swami Parthasarthi and Gautam have said is that it's like a pole vaulter. You use something such as a pole, in order to get you to the top above what you have to jump over. And then you must let go of the pole to cross over. So what you're saying, whether you use a book, you use a cross, you use uh, a, a photograph or an idol of any kind, it helps you to get there. And then once you're at the top, you have to let go of it and then you cross over. So right. to get to the point where you can actually conceptualize or even think of meditating, you have to be able to use something. So in the past, we've talked about using different mechanisms. So uh, one technique was to look at a candle or a flame right. and you open your eyes, you keep your eyes open, then you close your eyes and you keep your mind focused on that flame in your eyes. And you can focus on that flame with your eyes closed, but then another thought will come to your mind. And when that thought comes, you open your eyes and look at the flame again. And you right. go back and forth until you can keep your eyes closed for longer and longer periods of time. And there are many techniques like this in order to use that. But you yep. need Breathing something. is the popular one, right? They always teach us to breathe. And when oh, we yeah. have come back to breathing, that's the popular Yes, one. you can come back to breathing. You can use all kinds of things. But like you said whether it's a photograph of a man in a beard on a throne, whether it's uh, a cross, whether it's a book, the Holy Grantha of the Sikhs, anything that helps you control your mind from wandering. So verse nine says, I am the sweet fragrance in earth and the brilliance in fire. I am the life in all beings and the austerity in ascetics. So each one of these friends, we can talk about for hours, because every word is important, but I think you get the point. The fragrance in earth, the sweet fragrance, earth has a nice smell to it when, when, you, when it rains, like in, there were monsoons after heat in India, the earth used to smell so delicious. Sometimes it smells bad, but that's because of impurities in the earth, right? right? That's not the real smell of the sweet fragrance of earth. And the brilliance in fire, so fire has light and, and brilliance that you can see. Now, why he chooses fire is because it is the first thing that the primitive man or anybody saw when the unmanifest consciousness became manifest consciousness, became space. Space you cannot see, air you cannot see, and then the next is fire. And fire you can see. So the first thing that anybody ever saw of God and his creation was fire. And so the, that was the first thing, that is the brilliance in fire. Then it says, I am the life in all beings. That we've talked about many times. And I am the austerity in ascetics. So there's, there's a lot to be talked about in terms of ascetics and austerity. But 
aesthetics, traditionally in India, we always thought that somebody dressed in orange clothes, ochre robes, uh, matted hair, dirty looking, you know, mm. have not bathed. Oh, this must be a holy man. That's yeah. an ascetic. And many of them are, some of them are, but not all of them. So just by looking at that, you can't say that he's an ascetic. But those who are real ascetics are austere. Austere, they're, they have one function, one mindset, and that is to get to self-realization. And right. that austerity is what Brahman said he is. Now, verse 10. O Partha, know me, capital M, know me as the eternal seed of all beings. I am the intelligence of the intelligent. I am the splendor of the splendid. Very beautifully written. Yes. Eternal seed. What does that mean? Now, when I take a mango seed and I plant it in the ground, I water it, I give it earth, and then a mango tree comes out of that, what happens to the seed? The seed disintegrates. Right. That seed has the genetic material on it that recognizes what tree this will become. It will become a mango tree because it was a mango seed. The roots, the tree trunk, the branches, the leaves, and ultimately the food, fruit will be that of a mango. Can't be that of a papaya because it was a mango seed. Right. But that seed disappears. You can't go under the tree and say, I want that original seed I planted. All seeds of these kind of trees and plants disappear when you plant it. But what about an eternal seed? What does that mean? The eternal seed means that Atman is there at all times. Even though I have a piece of Atman, Brahman comes into me, forms Atman, the life force, doesn't mean that one small piece of the Brahman is missing. You know, it's like we say that you have a pie, a pizza pie, and you cut it into eight slices, and that's it. Once those eight slices are gone, the pizza's gone. Right. Once that seed is buried, it's gone. Atman is unlimited in terms of how many lives, how many beings, how many life forces it can come up with. So that eternal seed is like waves in, in an ocean. The right. Upanishads gives these examples all the time that the number of waves that can come from oceans is unlimited. There's no, you can't say, well, after a thousand waves, the wave, the ocean has no more waves after. Right. Yep. So similarly, how many dreams can come out of your brain? Unlimited. The more you sleep, the more you dream. So there's no limit to how many dreams can come out of your mind. So what he's saying is, I am the eternal seed of all beings. I am the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, here's something interesting. Intelligent person is called in Sanskrit buddhiman. Buddhiman, buddhi is uh, intelligence or intellect, sorry. And buddhiman, buddhi is of three different kinds. One is a pure buddhi. In Sanskrit it says shuddha buddhi. Shuddha means pure. Shuddha buddhi is that buddhi which is able to recognize human values in other people and himself. So kindness, good human values kindness, um, virtues, generosity, compassion, friendship, niceness, uh, you know, those kind of good, positive human values is what the uh, Shuddha Buddhi 
is able to recognize. Now, in order to proceed or progress spiritually, you must have a Shuddha Buddhi. Right, Lou? Yes. Are we there? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So that Shuddha Buddhi, that pure Buddhi, is the pure intelligence or the intellect. Here he talks about intelligence of the intel intelligent. He means really uh, intellect. So, and we've talked about the difference between intelligence and intellect. The second is tikshna buddhi or sharp intellect. Tikshna is sharp. Sharp intellect is not necessary for spirituality. Sharp intellect is what you possess if you're a sharp businessman, a right. politician, somebody who ends up in the White House uh, and robs the country of everything. Uh, a businessman, a professor, a scientist, a doctor. These are all people that have tikshna buddhi or sharp intellect. Without the shuddha buddhi and without the third, these people with tikshna buddhi can actually ruin the world, the country, the population and its neighbors and friends because they're only looking to, they've got a very sharp intellect and they can use that for their own personal gains. If they don't have a sukshma buddhi, or a Shuddha Buddhi. So mm -hmm. the third is Sukshma Buddhi, which is also known as conscience, but not purely in terms of conscience as we know it in, in the Western world or in English. That Sukshma Buddhi, in addition to being a subtle intellect, differentiates between I, the big capital I, mm -hmm. and not I. Anything that is not me and me is what it differentiates. And you need it in order to grow spiritually. So those three together, the Shuddha Buddhi, Tikshna Buddhi, Sukshma Buddhi, the pure uh, intellect, the sharp intellect, and the subtle intellect together form the intelligent person. And Brahman says, I am the intelligence in that person. Now, hold that thought and keep in mind that in another couple of verses, we'll talk about Prakriti, Vikriti, and Sanskriti. Now, that means that pure buddhi and the sukshma buddhi can be modified and when we'll come to that so um, the eternal seed that he talked about before is also the causal body the causal body is the one through which vasanas come out and vasanas keep coming out again and again and again not just in this life but previous lives and future lives that is what caused us to come to the earth in the first place to be born because of our desires, our vasanas said, I want to be fulfill these vasanas, mm -hmm. I want to be born. That's the seed, that's the eternal seed which the Brahman fed. The intelligence of the intelligent is the subtle body, the mind and the intellect. And the last one he says, I am the splendor of the splendid. That refers to the gross body. Life forms keep changing, right? We know that from right. Darwin's theory that we keep changing and we keep modifying. And who knows whether in a few uh, million years, whether we'll have all five fingers, maybe the little finger will disappear. Maybe right. we'll just need one finger to do the typewriter, not the rest of the fingers. We, <laughs> our little toe will disappear because we don't need to climb up on trees anymore like monkeys did. So life forms keep changing. But the splendid, those that have realized the self, those that have become on the path of self-realization have a tage around them, a radiance around them. They have a splendor. They look splendid. When people look at them, they say there's something about him that irradiates. And that is that spiritual feeling within him 
that there's deep satisfaction that he has. He is content. He radiates. Uh, people used to say that they have a, um, a halo around them. There's no halo, but there is definitely radiance from these people. So we'll come back to Prakriti, Vikriti, and so on. So that was verse 10. And I think we will stop here. How long has it been, Lou? We're at 32 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's stop here. And next time, let's continue with uh, verse 11. So friends, thank you very much. This is a little deeper than the first six uh, chapters. And I appreciate it if you would write down your comments and your questions, because there must be many. Yeah. Please send them to me on Facebook. So that's it. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.